I knew I had relatives there, but we, and we knew the brothers had lost contact, but we didn't know what happened or why. And so this was a message looking for me a month after uh, my father's brother, my uncle, had passed away. And what happened when I got the message, straight away, you know, I was just, I couldn't believe it. So I sent a, te a message straight back and almost instantly I got a reply from my second cousin in London. And in that email, she attached a photo and it was a photo of my mum, my dad, my grandfather, myself on my mother's knee and my, I, was, I would have been three and my brother who was one in that photo. And I actually had that same photo at home in Perth. And I, I just started crying. I just couldn't, I couldn't believe it. It was just amazing. Hi, my name is Francis Lynch and welcome to the Living With Purpose interviews. In this episode, I'm talking with Angie Pascovicius, who has been a CEO in the community sector for more than 20 years. She's also a non-executive director with a number of organisations and also works as a leadership coach and mentor. Welcome, Angie. Thanks for joining me on the Living With Purpose podcast. I'm looking forward to having a conversation with, uh, with you about how purpose plays out in your life. But if we can start off, can you maybe describe to me how you introduce yourself to people? Yeah, well, I just I guess I just introduce myself as Angie Pascovicius, and it really depends what context. If it's in a work environment, it's Angie Pascovicius, CEO of Hollyoak. If I'm at a function, it's, it's really just Angie Pascovicius, um, and then anything else comes later. And yeah, yeah, because I, I have I wear many hats. Yeah, I know that, and uh, even in the work environment, I mean, yes, you know, CEO of Holyoke, but over time you've really started to do quite a lot of other things as well. I have, yes. Well, I sit on a number of boards, so I guess I am a CEO. I'm a non-executive director. Um, I, I do some public speaking, and I also am an executive coach as well. So I guess that's the range of different hats that I wear. So, so those things have sort of layered on top of each other, I think, over time. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, in a way. Um, I've probably, I've been a CEO now for over 20 years. Sounds like a very long time. Over 20 years. But I've also been involved with boards for over 20 years as well. And it was really only last year, at the beginning of the year, that I officially launched my executive coaching business. But for probably up to 20 years, I've been coaching and mentoring people anyway, uh, just on a pro bono basis. And then it was really after um, my Telstra Award that I started to do some public, what, what I would describe as keynote or public speaking. I mean, I've always yeah. done that as part of my CEO role, but not, you know, conferences and uh, things like that. But it's really only been since about 2015 that I've kind of done a bit more of that public speaking. And so, you know, those things, as you've 
you've been recognised, you know, for a number of things. So that Telstra uh, award and and has that changed you in, in terms of how you think about yourself in, in your roles? It has actually. So I suppose what, what that actually did, I've, I've, I've got quite an interesting story in terms of my journey. And it, I guess what Telstra, the Telstra Award um, gave me the opportunity to do was talk more openly, more publicly about some of that story. And I, I guess I didn't realise um, until I was invited to a Business Women's International Women's Day event in early 2016. And that was probably the first time I spoke openly a, a little bit about my story and my journey. Yeah. And it was after that I'd had that, did that presentation that all these women came up to me and spoke to me about how they had had some of those similar experiences to me. And it was then mm. I realised um, the importance and the value of sharing some of that information that, you know, I, I, I'm relatively successful in terms of my career, but I see myself as an ordinary person. And mm. I think it, it, it gave people comfort and confidence that really you can do anything no matter who you are and no matter what happens in your life anything is possible and that's I guess yeah. that's one of my beliefs that really anything is possible that you just need to believe and and I've um I've seen on your website and and in other places where you've spoken about that that history and and on on other podcasts as well but um the influences in your life through your family through your your adult life do they um, really, can you see a, a sort of pathway yourself in terms of how you come to be where you are now or is it just a whole series of different events or do you make meaning out of that now? I think what you said last of all is probably true. It, it, it's, it's been a journey and I'm also a reflector um, and it's been reflecting on that at different points in my journey that's helped me understand those changes in me and who I am and come to understand a lot more about who I am. So a lot of people, I think, understand who they are perhaps much earlier in life. And I think mm. because of some of my experiences, I, I, didn't, I didn't get to that place at a younger age. It's, it's only um, as I've gotten older that I've realised a lot of those things. Yeah, look, I think, you know, as I've gotten older, I've certainly learned more about myself and, and how to make meaning of all of that as well. I, I wonder, um, you know, whether you would be where you are. Do you think you would be where you are if, if not for those experiences or those? No, probably not. Probably not. Um, when I do speak, um, I will often say... Um, that you know, I would people will often ask, "Would you change anything?" Well, no, I wouldn't because I wouldn't be who I am today if I changed anything. Um, and then um, at one time when I was speaking, someone said, "Ask me a question: If you've had, how come you've, if you've had so many failures in your life, how come you've got to where you are?" <laughs> and and it it, it really um, hit me by surprise. I thought. I'd never actually ever thought they were failures. I it was actually a bit of an aha moment that that yeah. someone might think that, but for me, I'd never thought that. 
I really saw them as learning and growing opportunities, um, not as failures, which is quite interesting, yeah. But again, it's about your perspective on life, isn't it? That's right. And, and, and so you said that in 2016, after receiving the Telstra uh, Award, you spoke about some of those experiences in your life and, and in, in doing that and, and perhaps doing that more than once over time. I mean, how does that feel for you now? Does that, has that been, uh, I don't want to put words in, in your, but has it been, you know, liberating or has it been empowering or not? I mean, I'm, I'm wondering. No, it has. Um, it's been. It has been empowering. I feel very comfortable having those conversations now. I mean, there's obviously some things that I will never share, and there's always that line. And I guess it's about, you know, being as a leader, being vulnerable. Um, yeah. That it's okay. I mean, I'm a human being. I'm authentic. I'm vulnerable, like everyone else. Um, and there's, and I can, and I think I share that information now because I think it, it may help someone else on their journey. Um, mm. You know, no one's perfect. There's always challenges and issues in people's lives. Um, but if you've got a you know, positive a- attitude, and one of the things for me, which um, I perhaps will talk about my parents later, but from my dad, my dad had a great deal of courage and the persistence in the face of adversity and being the best that you can be are two very strong gifts from my dad. Um, and I think, mm. you know, I didn't know that at the time. And I really uh, I really only realised that um, quite late in life, um, even a few years ago, when mm. um, I met my relatives for the first time, my Lithuanian relatives. And, and could you see uh, sort of mirrors of your father's uh, sort of attitudes or his way of being yes absolutely well in them but but when i learned about his story um, i knew some of his story but um when i learned and understood a lot more about his story so what i'm interested in that so uh what made you connect with that part of your uh sort of family background yeah well that's a story in itself um i was actually in melbourne for the Telstra Awards, these were the national awards. And yeah. I was, I, I went over a couple of days earlier and I was sit, sitting on a Friday, sitting in my hotel room on a Friday night and there were five other women who were coming over, but I got there before them. And uh, one of them suggested that we keep in touch on Messenger and that you know if we had anything we needed to say to each other while we were there in our rooms or whatever so that was fine so i was on facebook but i had never connected on messenger so anyway i I went on to messenger and this was in november 2015 and when i went on to messenger what i discovered there was a message there for me from june 2015 oh, wow. and so I didn't know it had been um it, it it was looking for Angelina Pascovitus so my my real name is Angelina not Angie and yeah. you know I was in the hotel room and I was absolutely shocked I just thought oh my god that's me someone's actually looking for me and so if I go back a step um my dad 
came to Australia when he was 24. His father was already here. Um, oh, okay. My, my grandfather came in 31. My father came in 38 uh, to join him, which is similar to what happened in in those mm. days. The, yep. the men came first and then the rest of the family was supposed to come. And then the war started in 39 and Lithuania was occupied by the Russians and it wasn't until 1991 that the Russians actually left. And so yeah. my dad's family could never leave. So he came out to Australia. His father paid for the fare and he caught uh, the ship from, uh, he travelled from Lithuania to um, London and caught the ship. Uh, he was on that ship for six weeks, didn't have any mm. extra money, couldn't speak any English and met his father in Australia. But what I also hadn't realised was um, he he'd ha not had any of these new experiences. So I'll talk to, about, talk to you about those in a moment. But he also yeah. had a younger brother. Um, so my dad was 24 and his younger brother was 12. And I knew that he had a brother and when I was a teenager, he used to write to his brother in Lithuania and okay. send money to the family and um, clothing and things like that. Yeah. And they had, you know, regular contact. But then somehow over the years they lost contact and I was, I got married and I you know, didn't think much more about it. And then in May 2015, his brother passed away. And oh. my father had already been, um, had passed away five years before. And so these were my relatives in Lithuania, my first and second cousins. And it was, yeah. in fact, my second cousin who lived in London that was looking for me because my father's brother was a professor in, of history in the university in the capital of Lithuania. And when my father was writing to him when I was a teenager through those years, his brother had kept all of his letters from when <laughs> he from he travelled from when he travelled to Australia in 1938 and wrote to his mother. And yeah. when my cousins cleared out his flat, they found all these letters. They That's knew amazing. they had, they, it is. Um, so they knew they had relatives in Australia. I knew I had relatives there, but we, and we knew the brothers had lost contact, but we didn't know what happened or why. And so this was a message looking for me a month after uh, my father's brother, my uncle, had passed away. And mm. what happened when I got the message, straight away, you know, I was just, I couldn't believe it. So I sent a, te a message straight back and almost instantly I got a reply from my second cousin in London. And wow. in that email she attached a photo and it was a photo of my mum, my dad, my grandfather, myself on my mother's knee and my I was I would have been three and my brother yeah. who was one in that photo and I actually had that same photo at home in Perth and I, I just started crying I just couldn't I couldn't believe it it was just amazing so yeah. a, um, a year later um, Barry my partner and I went to Lithuania 
and my second cousin uh, got married when we were there, so we went to her wedding. And my second cousin speaks Lithuanian and uh, English quite well. My first cousin, she's she's the principal of a school in uh, Lithuania, or of a college actually, and she speaks Lithuanian and and Russian, and her English is not too bad. So when I was there, she shared with me those letters and she translated them for me. And mm. the letter from my dad, uh, my, my dad's letter to his mother when he was 24 and he was on that ship was just amazing. So I've actually got that letter now and it's written in mm. quite um, an old style of Lithuanian, which my first cousin could translate because she was a Lithuanian teacher as well yeah um and in that letter he talks about these amazing things that he discovered um that he's telling his mum so for the first time he discovered on the on the ship sugar cubes he'd never seen sugar cubes before he'd never he couldn't believe that you could have coffee that was continuous you could have as many cups of coffee as you wanted to he Mm. um he even made this comment about all these ladies dancing with all these men with really short skirts. And, he, you know, he'd just not seen that before. Um, and on his way to catching the ship, he'd never been on a paved road before. He'd always only been on a dirt road because yeah. um, he lived in a, a small village um, in Lithuania. So it was all of those things and in some of his future letters that I really got a, a much better and stronger understanding of my dad and who he was it's such an australian it's such an australian story though isn't it of people who come from the other Mm. side of the world and make a life here that's right and so he came to perth on the ship and then went to uh, melbourne where his father was and then eventually he met my mum there and they eventually went to tasmania where um eventually i was born and we grew up and so so is he has he been an influential person in your life, your dad? Look, he has, but, you know, I didn't realise how influential he was until I discovered that letter. I knew what a strong influence my mum was, but I didn't yep. realise um, about my dad. Yeah. And that was after he passed? Yes, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. And yeah. I wished that I'd had, I, I had have asked him a lot more questions than I did. And that's one of the yeah. things I say to people, you know, make sure you ask your parents the questions that you would like to ask um, before they, you know, it's too late and they pass away. So you mentioned that your mum was was influential. What, what did she give you? Look, um, my dad wasn't well educated, but he, he became a businessman. Mm. Um, my mum also um, was not well educated but she was a very caring person who um, was a tireless fundraiser for, for a range of different causes. My dad had um, a news agency in the small country town that we lived in, in Tasmania, and we lived on top of the news agency, so we essentially lived in the main street. And I would often sit with my mum outside of the news agency and help us sell raffle tickets and things like that. We also had um, one of the biggest employers was um, 
an institution for uh, people in those days, uh, which were called retarded children, but people with disability, very profound mm. disabilities. Um, and the criminal land saying it was a, a big, big institution from the, the late 1800s. And so we, I grew up people with disabilities um, around me all the time. We'd have people coming into the shop. We had people coming up the street. And my mum was also a tireless fundraiser for the Retarded Children's Association. And so it was really from mum that that sense of serving, that strong desire yeah. to give back and make a difference. And I knew that from a very early age. Um, it's something that I knew that I always wanted to do. And in, in a sense, it's it's almost been a calling for me that it, it's just something that's there. It's part of who I am. Because you, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to get it wrong, but you trained initially, was it as a, a speech therapist? Yes. Speech pathologist, yep. yeah. yeah. Pathologist, okay. And yeah. did that? do you think that that had any influence by, by what you saw at growing up? And Yeah, oh, definitely, yeah. yes, because... Yeah. Um, one of the because I, I my work experience when I was at high school was actually at um, Royal Derwent Hospital, which was that large institution. Um, mm. There was a very elderly speech therapist, English speech therapist, who worked there. She must have been, you know, one of the first speech therapists in the world. Um, she was very elderly, but um, yeah. she worked with um, uh, the the mostly children with quite significant disabilities and um, I did my work experience there and that's when I knew that I, I wanted to be a speech pathologist. And I, I did actually go back there and work for a year at one point after I graduated. How did that experience sort of fit against your childhood expectations of, of what was going on in there? I probably, <laughs> I probably got to see a lot more um, and was, you know, horrified at you know, some of the things that went on in, in the, um, you know, the 24-7 areas where the accommodation yeah. areas were because every, obviously everyone lived on site, all of the, the children, yeah. Some safeguarding practices um, that we, you know, certainly wouldn't, quality and safeguarding would have been a real issue there at the time. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm assuming, well, I wonder, is that facility, does it exist anymore? No, it closed down a no. long time ago. Um, so clearly a formative experience for you and, and you know, influenced mm. how you sort of initially did training. So are there other people who've been really influential for you in terms of where you end up now? Yes. Um, so mum and dad, yes, definitely. Um, there have been people along the way um, who I've had a – it's what's interesting about my career path is that I've never – intentionally set out to work in a particular place. Opportunities have always presented themselves to me. And one of the things I talk about is the importance of opportunities and always exploring them because you don't know where they might lead. Doesn't mean you need to take them up, but you never mm. know where they might lead. And I have this saying, um, which I read on a, a card one day, when I was in a particularly um, vulnerable position and um, it said, um, sometimes we look so longingly. So when one door closes, sometimes we look so longingly at the door 
that has um, closed, we don't see the new door that has opened. And I'm a strong believer in that. So for my career journey, opportunities have presented themselves. And sometimes by people I haven't really known very well, um, and they've been, I guess, instrumental in, in directing me into a certain um, uh, way that I've, 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 I've gone in my career. Yeah, and, and so being able to not take advantage, but to, to seize or see the opportunity and actually be open to it. Yeah, I think it's about um, well, seeing it and being open to it, but you might not always see it, but someone else might see it. And in my case, someone else has yeah. seen an opportunity and they've suggested something and I've explored it. And it's actually, it, it, it was what led me into um, away from speech pathology into generic management. Mm. It's also what led me into my CEO role at Therapy Focus. It's also what led me into my role at Mission Australia and it's also mm. what led me into my role at um, Hollyoak as well. Mm, mm. And I'm thinking particularly when you went to Therapy Focus, I mean, it was a brand new uh, organisation being sort of hived out of government and it was a bit of a, an experiment by the looks of it. It was and, in fact, that was the opportunity. I was the project manager who yeah. managed the transition from Disability Services Commission into the not-for-profit sector and, and set it up as a new not-for-profit organisation. And then was fortunate enough when the CEO role was advertised that um, I was successful in, in gaining that. Yeah, become and it's a still really, thriving. Yeah, mm. an important part of the, the sort of support system for people in Perth. Yes, yeah. yes, definitely. You know, this podcast really, I mean, Living With Purpose is the title. And, and one of the questions which is really key is, do you, do you have a sense for yourself about or, or how you would describe purpose in your life and what that means? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very clear about what that is. And I guess in a way I've, I've already said that it's about that strong desire to give back, to serve and, and to make a difference. And to make a difference in people's lives, which is really about helping them transform and grow. But the other side of that is um, to help, in turn, to help organisations transform and grow. As the people transform and grow, so does the organisation. And I think, you know, the CEO roles I've had, Therapy Focus and also Hollyoak, have been around transformation and growth. And with the board work that I do, my one of the areas of interest is business transformation and growth as well, um, where there's a, a need for that to happen for various reasons, whether it's new. Um, mm. And I'm, I've also got interest in startups as well for the same reason. Yeah, because I think, um, you know, the opportunity to uh, help an organisation realise its potential by having the right systems, the right people, the right uh, governance, you know, that it, it's, it's, it's sort of interesting because I have some of the same interests and, and I think it's actually there's creativity in that. There is. Oh, absolutely. Um, because um, innovation is... is is one of my um, areas of interest as well, which is which is linked to that um, about creativity, 
doing things differently, being innovative, looking for opportunities, all of that. I know that one of the, um, you know, Holyoke innovations has been Drumbeat, which has been around for quite a while now. But I, mm. I wonder about how you see that now, given that it has been there for a while and, and how that sort of fits for you in terms of that, that you know, innovation. So, mm. Yeah, well, definitely still. Um, one of the challenges of COVID for us was that um, uh, as a result of COVID, all of our future bookings for our drumbeat training within Australia and in the US got pretty much cancelled overnight, 100%, uh, which was devastating for the team and, and for us, and, and, and not just for us and the team, but the people that book to do the training there was such a strong outcry from them to us to what can we do how can you help us you know mm. through this mm. uh through the challenging time and so it's a very small team but a, an amazing cohesive team in the drumbeat area you know social enterprise and they pulled together and within four weeks they created drumbeat online um a new e-learning platform with all these videos, all this new content, um, and launched it. And that was in May, and we've already mm. ticked over our 101st participant since then. Okay. So, yeah, and so it's it's just going really well. And, you know, when we were talking, we've been talking about it, I don't know, one of the old... Um, it, it stood the test of time, but it's one of the change models by John Cotter. Mm. Um, and it talks about having a burning platform. And I hadn't ever really kind of thought too much about what a burning platform might look like. But <laughs> we, we actually had a burning platform with COVID. Um, everything got cancelled. We had no choice. We actually had to develop something new. Um, mm. And Drumbeat Online had been on the agenda for so many years and we did have an old version which just really needed to be fixed up and was really not worth any value anymore yeah. and uh, people never got round to it and looking at it so this was just the burning platform that meant everyone pulled together and they did what they needed to do and launched Drumbeat Online yeah. and it's just becoming you know, very popular, great feedback. Yeah, no, that's great. Though I do suspect that your team will probably be very happy to get back to face-to-face -to -face when they can. Yes, yeah, well, they're, they're, they have been doing some face-to-face -face training in, in WA, but um, yeah. uh, unfortunately can't on the East Coast. But there's a lot of people that that had booked um, the face-to-face uh, -face that have now converted to the online version, which is good, yeah. But yeah. also Drumbeat has... Um, so there's that version, but also we've enhanced drumbeat in a number of ways. I mean, it, it's very evidence-based, as you know, but contemporary with um, looking at developing modules for veterans, developing modules for people in the prison system, adult, okay. and adult justice program, things like that, and making sure that uh, the theoretical frameworks around trauma-informed practice are incorporated into it and all those sorts of things. So it, 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 mm, it's mm. evolving as um, the evidence base evolves as well. 
so so to sort of touch back on the the purpose do you think your purpose has remained consistent or has it sort of just developed and and deepened over time or has it changed at all it hasn't changed um it, it's deepened i've just become clearer and clearer um that that's that is my purpose yeah mm, yeah mm. And, and what gives you the energy to keep going at going at it yeah that's an interesting question because for me i'm i'm it's not that i get bored easily but i love variety i love change i love things you know doing things differently um and as we talked about um those opportunities that that and and the innovation um it, it's that's what gives me energy but also getting back to my purpose, it, it's people changing and growing um, and making a difference there. And that that's very much on that one-to-one -one basis. And you don't get enough of that um, necessarily in the workplace because mm. of the nature of the workplace. Um, there's There are opportunities for coaching, but um, not great opportunities, but or, I mean, many opportunities. So I guess the coaching side of things has really um, gives me that opportunity because that, that I really feel like when I'm in that place, I'm in the flow. Yeah. And it's similar with my board work. I really enjoy chair the chair role um, because it's that relationship between the chair and the CEO. Um, mm -hmm. And that, that's something that, that I really enjoy as well. And and you know the so so really that interest of having a number of different things, which as you said you touched on at the beginning. I mean that that's giving you the opportunity to really explore what it means to be of service in a whole range of different um, ways. Yeah. Mm. But to do, I'm very fortunate that I, I I can do what I love and what I enjoy and what's important to me. So I'm very grateful yeah. for that. Yeah. Are there any particular you know, books or podcasts or or sources where you get inspiration from as well? Yeah. Um, so I've, I've been doing quite a bit of reading in the, the kind of the coaching space, um, which is probably a bit obvious. Um, I'm a introvert, so I've been reading a little bit lately about um, introverts. There's been a, a little bit of... Um, uh, I guess, podcasts, information and, and information on LinkedIn about uh, introverts. So um, Quietly Powerful by Megumi um, Miki is one that um, oh, okay. resonates with I've me. Yeah, and um, she, I, I've actually done a podcast with her as well when she was um, putting the book together. So that's, okay. that's one as well. And also um, I was very fortunate before COVID um, to go and see Brene Brown in person in Melbourne. And oh, that wow. was great. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, she's someone that um, I enjoy as well. Um, I try, yeah. I've got a lot of books um, still on the, that I've bought that are still on the list to read. Yep. Um, but I also belong to a book club as well. So, I also have to fit in some um, fiction reading as well. <laughs> oh, well, you've got to balance everything out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes I wonder, you know, where do you find all the time in the day to do all the reading that you want to do? But because I'm a lifelong learner, um, I, you know, I, I enjoy reading not just, you know, books, but 
I'm always printing off articles to read and things like that. So, yeah, mm. there's always a backlog, yeah. but I, I eventually get to them all. <laughs> so we, I'm getting to the point of, of uh, finishing up and I'm just wondering, is there anything that you'd like to, to sort of say or, or maybe I haven't asked the right questions? Is there anything you wanted to say? I've got a, I'm, I'm a strong believer in quotes. I love quotes and um, there's just a couple I'd, I'd like to share. One that particularly, or two that are on a similar topic um, and then a couple of others. So one from Oscar Wilde is be yourself, everyone else is taken. And I love yep. that one. And the other mm -hmm. one that's similar is don't change who you are, become more of who you are. And that's Sally Hogshead. I love that one as oh, well. Yeah, that's great. And then there, I was listening to a podcast one day and I think it was um, Conversations and I don't even know where this one came from, but it was a Maasai warrior who had passed away and what was said was by the tribe, every time an elder dies a library burns to the ground. Oh, wow. And that just yeah. really, really resonated with me because, you know, there's that saying that you are who you are because of the books that you read and the people you associate with. And I just thought that's such a powerful saying. Um, you know, every time a leader passes away, um, a, a library burns to the ground. Hmm. No, and that, then the last is... one, yeah, the last one I'll share, um, and this is um, by Susan Cain, and she's written a book called Quiet Power, which is also about introverts. And I actually, AIM brought her to Perth and I, I went along to listen to her. Yep. And again, this really resonates to me as well. Know what's in your suitcase it's what matters so much to you that you carry it in your heart everywhere you go. Always make sure you take the time to take these things out and share them with others. Thank you, Angie. Thank you for sharing these things with us today. Um, look, I've, I've been really privileged to be in this conversation with you today. And um, yeah, thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity, Francis.